Take a look at John chapter 17, the very last verse, verse 26. Um, it's not usually associated, we don't usually think of this as a Christmas passage. Um, if you read it, just as you're reading through the Bible, you probably don't think about Christmas when you come across it. But it, I want to show you that it's all about Christmas. And it teaches us something very, very important. Here's, here's one of the things it points out about Christmas. Christmas is all about family. But it's about a family that's bigger and deeper than our human families. Christmas is about how God draws us into his family. Uh, and, and another way to put it is this. The Son of God entered a human family at Christmas in order for us to enter his divine family for forever. Now, let me explain, and I'm going to look mainly at the gospel reading. And just remember the context here. Um, we've been in this space all autumn long, and um, Jesus is praying, and uh, this is the very last thing he prays right before he gets up and goes and is arrested and executed. And, and so this is the last thing that's on his mind before all that starts happening. What is it? Well, look at verse 26. Jesus says, I have made, speaking to the Father, I have made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me might be in them and I in them. Now, right here, Jesus is praying for every single Christian all through history. So he, previously, in the uh, previous uh, paragraph, Jesus was praying particularly for his 11 remaining disciples. But now... He's praying for everybody who's going to believe through their message, which means all Christians down through history. And his top desire and his, the kind of bottom line is he, see, is he says, Father, I want every single Christian that is ever going to come after me um, to, to know you so well, to know you so well that they experience the same love, Jesus says, that you and I, Father, have been experiencing all through history, all through eternity. Now, pause there. There are certain verses of the Bible that when you read them, you realize that these are very, very special. Of course, every single verse in the Bible is very, very, very special. But there are certain verses where you read them, and if you meditate on them for any length of time at all, you realize, or maybe better, you realize that you are reading, and reading that verse, you're reading the the culmination of the big story of the Bible. And it's all right there in front of you. And you realize if you could just taste the reality of that verse, you would be tasting the whole of the story of the Bible. Now, this is one of those verses. There's a bunch of other ones, but this is one of them. Let me explain. But to explain, I've got to do a backstory, and this throws us into the Advent part of our, of our life. So Advent is all about the backstories that lead up to Jesus, okay? Backstory. And this particular backstory that we need to fill in is kind of a sad one. So it's going to be sad for a few minutes, and then, and then it'll get better. And it's about uh, broken families in the Bible. Why are we talking about broken families in the Bible? Well, it'll, it'll come clear eventually, so just stay with me. You could tell the whole story of the Bible by tracing dot to dot uh, just a litany of broken families. For instance, the very first family in the Bible, right? Adam and Eve, you remember that story? 
right? Everything's created well. They reject God. But immediately in rejecting God, do you remember what happens between them? They fall out with each other almost immediately. Chapter 3, first kind of marital breakdown happens in the whole Bible. And then, do you remember what happens to their kids? It gets worse, right? Cain and Abel, they don't, it's not just sibling rivalry. Cain murders Abel right there at the beginning. Not a good model. And then, if you, we'll skip a bunch, because there's a, a bunch in between, but then you go to Abraham. Do you remember Abraham? God says, Abraham, uh, I'm going to give you a family, and through your family, I'm going to bless all families, which is really great. It's like, finally, we're going to get a good one. But God keeps his bit, bit of the promise. But even still, you've got this family that's, that's kind of a mess, right? Um, if you look at... Uh, Abraham's immediate family, there's patterns of lying and abandonment and distrust and a whole bunch of other things. And then his children eventually fall out with each other. And then his grandchildren um, uh, have issues, big issues. His great-grandchildren actually conspire together to sell one of them into slavery. It's a mess. And then we can talk about David. And you would see the same thing. David, all these wonderful promises that God gives to David. David's a hero of the faith. And nevertheless, his family is deeply broken. So much so that it leads to the collapse of the nation a couple times. Now, here's the thing. The Bible treasures families. Families are, are one of the greatest gifts that God ever gives his people. And nevertheless, the families in the, in the Bible are a mess regularly. So there's this theme of this broken families that runs through the Bible. But then over the top of it, there's this other theme that, that you got to bring into the picture before we come back to the gospel reading. And that is you could read the entirety of the Old Testament as a long adoption process. So, for instance, you remember the Exodus, when um, God comes to liberate Israel. Israel isn't really looking for God too much, but God shows up. Do you remember what God says to Pharaoh through uh, Moses? Through Moses, he says, um, Pharaoh, I've chosen Israel to be my son, so let him go. And if you don't let him go, I'm going to get angry. And then everything happens. But God calls Israel his son. It's, it's like God wants to build a family, not just a nation, but he wants to take Abraham's family, this nation of Israel, and bring them into his own family. He wants Israel to become his son. The problem is, as you read through the Old Testament, this adoption process only kind of sort of half works. Because... Once again, the family, all of them, are a mess. And they keep on turning on each other. But then when they turn on each other, they are also continually turning against God. And so the Old Testament is this litany of broken families. But then all together they tell the story of one broken family, a broken family between Israel and the Lord, and ultimately between all of humanity and the Lord. Now... Pause here. One of the things this time of year, um, we all, we, a lot of us will go spend time with family, but a lot of us will also feel the, the, the brokenness of our families. 
Uh, some of us will feel that sitting around the dinner table. Some of us will, uh, will feel that because um, we, we won't spend time with family. Um, and if your family brokenness is part of your story, uh, then one of the things you need to see is that the Bible takes that brokenness seriously. And actually, you know, the Bible uh, values family deeply, but it doesn't idolize the family. The Bible takes family brokenness seriously, and that's one of the reasons why we can take the Bible seriously in the midst of the brokenness. All right. Go back to the reading, okay? Don't worry, we're, we're eventually going to get to Christmas. But what is this reading, this gospel reading? It's a window on the only whole and healthy family in the universe. That gospel reading. Every single family is broken. If you don't think your family is broken, just give it time. But there's one family that's not broken. And in this reading, we get to listen in on it. What you see is Jesus, the eternal Son of God, speaking to his Father. And the Holy Spirit isn't mentioned here, but in the context, the Holy Spirit is always associated with the love between the Father and the Son. And so what you have as you read this gospel reading is you've got God the Father and God the Son and the God the Holy Spirit and they're in a bond of love with one another. And they're the one family that's not broken. And so all the desires that we have for a family, the desires that we have for a future family, the desires we have to be with our family now, the desires or the feelings of brokenness and pain that we have because we, because we don't have a whole family, all of those desires are very, very good ones. But our human families never quite satisfy. Some do more than others, and that's precious. But none of them fully satisfy, even the really good ones. And so as humans, we sit in this brokenness, the brokenness that we've suffered and the brokenness that we've perpetrated. And we all of us dream of finding a family made whole. And in this reading, we get to see it. Look at this reading. Look at Jesus and the Father in the love of the Holy Spirit. That's the family that we were made for. That's the family we all want. There it is. Now, however, I can imagine somebody coming back at me and saying, that's not helpful. I can imagine somebody coming back and saying, that's not helpful at all. Because it's not helpful to look at a family that's whole and healthy. It's not helpful to sit on the outside of a house looking through a window at a healthy family while you're on the outside. Now, if that's what you're thinking, thank you. Because now we're ready for Christmas. Verse 26 explains Christmas. What are you talking about? Well, what's the point of Bethlehem? What's the point of Mary and Joseph? The answer is verse 26 is the point. Jesus, the Son of God, entered a human family precisely so that we could enter the divine family. Look at it. Jesus says, I have made known to them your name, Father, meaning I've told them everything I know about you, Father. I have fully divulged who you are and your character and your love and your justice and your righteousness and your trustworthiness and the reason why you should be feared and loved 
and trusted in all of those things. I have made known to them your name, Jesus says, and I've done it with a purpose. What's the purpose? I've made known to them your name in order, Father, that the love with which you have loved me might be poured out upon them and that I might be in them and that they might be drawn into this family for which they were designed but they've never experienced and for which they've hoped for. The point is, Jesus' prayer is, Father, I'm going to go to the cross, and the cross is going to be worth it. And my incarnation, the fact that I have become human, is worth it because I want to share my experience of the Father's love with them. And that was the plan from the beginning. So all of our human families are a good gift, but always never enough. And God desired to share his family with us. And that's why Christmas is all about family, but it's about a family that's bigger and deeper than our human families. Christmas is all about how we enter the divine family. And that also explains the darker aspect of this scene. Because here's the thing. When Jesus entered the human family at Christmas, he entered the broken human family. If you ever notice, if you look at the, at the uh, larger story of Christmas, almost immediately there's violence. Do you remember that? The, the killing of the, of the uh, young children in Bethlehem. Almost immediately, uh, evil kind of goes crazy. When Jesus entered the human family, he entered the human family in all of its brokenness. And part of the problem is that our uh, the brokenness of our families uh, kind of cling to us as humans, don't they? You know, if, if you're from a broken family, that brokenness clings to you. We all experience that. And so, of course, the great question is how, if God is going to enter the broken family, how can that broken family be made whole? How can the brokenness be healed? How can, how can that cycle in? And so the only way that we could be brought into God's family is if somehow that brokenness is healed. And that's why verse 26 tells us that Jesus gives full knowledge of God and full rights to God's love. But in order to get that done right after this, he stands up and he walks out and he goes to the cross. And there on the cross, Jesus took full responsibility for our human brokenness, all the brokenness we've suffered and all the brokenness we've per perpetrated. And I know we don't think about perpetrating brokenness, but don't we? Don't we do that in our families? He takes he, his full responsibility for the human family he's entered. And he does that so that on Easter he can give us the full privileges of sonship and daughtership. Full privilege of being adopted. And so Christmas is about family, but it's about bigger than our human families, deeper than our human families, as wonderful as they are. Christmas is how God draws us into the only family that will finally satisfy us and the only family that is really whole. And that explains the rest of our reading. Do you notice that Jesus uh, prays for Christian unity? Father, I pray that they might be one as we are one in order that the world may know that you have sent me. Why is that important? Well, 
it make, kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Every family has its dynamic. Uh, a broken family passes on the, the uh, broken dynamic and the abuse and the pain and all of that gets passed on, it seems, from generation to generation. But when we enter God's family and when we have been given the privilege of full adoption that we do not deserve it, when you have sat under the undeserved love of the Father that by rights should only be poured out upon his Son, when you've sat under that love, then that love sort of replicates itself. It clings to us. It replicates itself in our hearts so that not only are we receiving the love of the Father, but we begin to love with the love of the Father. And who are the first objects of our love as we begin to love others with the love that the Father has poured out upon us. It's other Christians. It's, it's our siblings. It's the new family. And so Jesus says, Father, I pray that they may be one. I pray that the love with which you have loved me might be in them, and then love through them, grant them to love each other well. With a love that they can't generate for themselves. And all of this is important for us as a family, but it's important for the world too because Jesus says, I pray that they they might be one in order that the world may see my reality, that the world may see that I really have come from you. You remember just a few minutes ago, we were looking at that verse, verse 26, and we were looking through the window at the family that we were made for. Well, when we really begin to love each other, with a love that comes not from us, not because the other person is attractive or nice, or, but because we have been loved so un, in such an unmerited way. When we begin to love each other well, then that allows the world to look at us. Just like we looked at that verse. The world looks at us and begins to see the family that they were made for. And they begin to see the plausibility of Jesus. And so this prayer is for us. And it sort of spans the whole Bible. Jesus wants us this Christmas to fully enjoy, fully receive, fully enter into the family that we were made for, the divine family. He became what we are, human, so that we could become what he is, a child of God. And this is the key way that we serve our city. By loving each other, we show them who Jesus is. But then there's one more thing. Because if you look at verse 24, as if all these gifts weren't enough, verse 24, Jesus shares with us his inheritance. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. It's remarkable here. Right before Jesus dies, he's desiring us to be with him, seeing his glory for forever. And if you look at verse 22, Jesus says, I have shared my glory with those who belong to me. Elsewhere in the New Testament, it it talks about how uh, when we're adopted into the family of God, we become, it makes sense, co-heirs with Christ. Christ makes himself to be our brother. And not only do we experience the love of the Father that he has enjoyed, but we also get to share 
in his inheritance of glory for forever. And it means that our future, when you belong to Christ, is more full of joy than you have the capacity either to enjoy or even imagine. And we will enter into that inheritance, and that inheritance will increase in glory and joy and intimacy with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit throughout all eternity. And it's when you think about that glory that is to come that then look at that and then look at the cradle, then look at the stable, then look at God born in such humility. God setting aside something of his obvious glory, entering into our poverty, entering into our brokenness, and entering into our human family in order that we might share in that eternal glory. That's the story. And that's the story that ultimately can heal all our brokenness. And that's the story that Christmas invites us into. Let's pray. Almighty Father, grant us this Christmas to see the beauty and the privilege of calling you Father. And do not let it be lost on us. And will you grant us to adore the child in the manger? Save us from all nostalgia. Save us from all sentimentality. Save us from being numb because of the familiarity we have with the story. And grant us to look into the eyes of this child and see our Lord upon the cross and our Lord risen and reigning and our Lord soon to return. But grant us also to see the one who made himself our brother, who is not ashamed to be called our brother. And then grant our hearts to melt as we cry out, Abba, Father, and enter, in, enter into all the privilege which Christ purchased on our behalf. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Emmanuel Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Jim Saladin, the minister here. At Emmanuel, we seek to see, describe, and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of New York City and ultimately the world. We rely on the generous giving of people like you. Consider supporting our ministries at www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.